welcome to another episode of the Beck Lover Podcast, where you might learn a thing or two about life. You never know who we're going to bring on, because we bring the whole spectrum, the whole buffet of life, all types of people, because this world is full of amazing people and amazing stories. Make sure you subscribe, hit that uh, sub button, click like, leave a comment, and help project my voice across the world. And I thank those of you that do. You can check out all my content on becklover.com. But today, I have a special guest. I have a fellow alumni of the New York nightlife. He's a New York socialite. You may have seen him in Forbes magazine recently discussing his new app and website and technology that he's bringing to the world that's going to help us connect more with high-profile people, celebrities, and things like that. I got my good friend Jeff Krause in the house. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Beck, for having me, man. Jeff, you've been in New York most of your life, yes? Oh, yeah. I grew up here. Born here? Born in Long Island. I always like to kind of give my audience a little bit of background on who my guests are, where they're from, their upbringing a little bit, so they can kind of understand your life cycle, I guess, if you want to use that word. So you're born and raised in New York. Yeah, born and raised in Long Island, New York. What was it like being a young Jeff? Well, I mean, as a young, as a young Jeff, I was actually a pretty quiet tennis player. Um, all I really cared about was, uh, pretty much playing tennis. Uh, I was on the wrestling team for a little bit and yeah, that was my, uh, that was, that was me pretty much in a, in a nutshell. I was kind of just a quiet introverted, uh, kid that loved to play tennis. So you were very quiet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I still am an introvert. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I was very, I would say I was much more very quiet growing up for sure. I'm the opposite of an introvert. I'm an extrovert, right? I'm oh, very outgoing, very vocal, very, I don't care if there's a million people out there, I'll jump on top of a box and yell, you know, whatever. Do you find it difficult when you have to do stuff like this as an introvert? Do you find it difficult to come on a show or... Or is it only if you're in front of people, like actually in front of people that, I mean, is it, is it, does it make you uncomfortable as an introvert? Cause I try to understand the world of the introvert. Um, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily am uncomfortable with going on a show. I think it's more of stuff like if I'm in a party, let's just say, even though I'm trying to be extroverted, which, you know, just for the sake of being you know, social, social, uh, by the time I get back to my apartment, I'm like, you're drained. I'm drained. <laughs> you have to kind of like pull it out, pull of it me. out. Yeah. of you. So basically to my understanding, and it's, it's what I understand it to be being uh, an introvert. Basically it's like, you don't mind people. It's not that you hate people. It's just, you don't really feel like dealing with them maybe as much or having to talk and and yeah, it's not it's not so much about um, hating people or, or anything like not like hating, that. but like, you know, you want to avoid having to talk or or, you know, be more public or vocal or I, I don't know. I yeah, mean, how would you amazing. describe it in your in your definition? I would describe it as um, maybe shy, but trying to be because uh, look, when I get to know somebody, I'm very, you know, comfortable to, to talk to them. But when you're in a crowded room, it's a little bit more. It's kind of like a phobia, a little bit, is it? A little no, bit. Like, I, I listen. Like, I damn, everyone's looking at me. I got everyone's going to be listening to me. I wonder how I sound. Do you think that? I mean, I'm not. No, no. I'm trying to understand what goes through your mind when you're an introvert, and it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. I there's a lot of people so, that are introverted. So here's the thing: I don't really, um, I don't really care about what people think of me as far as that's concerned. Um, it's just more of something with within. I mean, I've been this way since I was born. So it's not, it's nothing, you know, it's nothing new to me. So when that. you were in school and I mean, from what I can remember now, it's been a long time. I feel like people picked more on the kids that stayed quiet or like they felt, cause there was like this perception of like, well, if they're quiet, maybe that, you know, they're weaker or, you know, there's that stupid perception maybe children have, like when well, he's always quiet and, you know, did you experience any of that growing up? I mean, was there any difficulties yeah, growing up um, as an introvert? Did you have any issues as a child, maybe when you were in school? I mean, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, listen, when, I mean, I grew up in a, in a town that was, uh, you know, 
relatively uh, wealthy, I guess you could say. Uh, but I was much more, you know, quiet and, and whatnot. Um, I did experience a little bit of, uh, you know, picking on and, and had some bully, you know, situations, so to speak. But I wouldn't say it was something that was uh, on going for long periods of time with, with you know, uh, one specific person. It's just that because I was more of an outcast, not an outcast, but I was very, you know, to myself, I only had, you know, certain close friends. Um, there were definitely times where people would, you know, try to test me, so to speak. Um, or if you're hanging were, out with other kids, why are you bringing him with you? Right. Or stuff like that. Why did you bring yeah, him? He, he doesn't some, talk some, at all. There was, there was some, he never that. opens his mouth. <laughs> there, were, there was, there was some of that, but, uh, you know, I also, you know, grew up with, you know, learning disability. I was in, uh, you know, special, uh, special classes. So it was, there was a lot of different stuff like that, that was, uh, that was happening. And yeah, there were, what couple- was the, what was the condition and when did they figure out you had that? Oh, when I was very young, uh, probably. So what, what was it? What was the actual learning disability? Yeah, it's called visual perception. So what is that? So let's just say we're sitting in a classroom, right? You can listen to a teacher write on the chalkboard, on the board, absorb that information and write it down very quickly. Okay. I will have to listen, see what they're writing. And by the time I write it down, it's on to the next, you know, the next conversation. I absorbed nothing. So after school and even in between in classes, I would have to go into specific classes where they would have to help me uh, learn. So it was hard to retain it as quick as it was. It was hard for me to retain it, hard for me to learn it. So how do you fix that? How did did they fix it? I mean, it has still an issue, still an issue a little bit. Yeah, you don't you don't fix that. So Um, does technology help you? You can technology. Yeah, you keep notes. You put things in your calendar. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, today's you know today's technology is way different than you know from when it's I was light years compared light years. to what we grew up with. I think, yeah, we're, exactly. I think we're around the same age, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm 42. Yeah, so. a little just a tad bit older. I'm 41. So. Yeah, same uh, generation. But yeah, no, it was more of um, more of just something that I, listen. There's no fixing it. You can only get better. Right. Manage the symptoms. You can manage the symptoms, but you can't just completely overcome it. You know, so, yeah, there was a little bit of, uh, you so know, that's, honestly, man, the brother, that sounds honestly, that's very challenging, man. It is very. Challenging. Oh, it's, you know, for me, it was real easy. I could, you know, absorb looking, writing. I was blessed to have both. But I always wrote when I knew I had a test, like really put it into my brain. Yeah. So I can only imagine how stressful that must have been to be in school and you're constantly being asked to retain information. And if you don't, your performance is based on that. So, well, actually, um, I had to, at one point, uh, stop wrestling because I was on the wrestling team for a period of time. Excellent. The, The reason is because I would, first of all, I, I have insomnia, so that doesn't help me since I was born. So I would go into school I would sleep during the first couple periods of class. Wouldn't really learn too much. Go to wrestling. Then after wrestling, I would then go to tennis. So I would be going from like three in the afternoon, let's just say, all the way till 10 at night. And it got to the point where my grades were, you know, being affected. And my parents were just like, listen, you got to choose one way or the other. There's no way that you're going to keep this, this up. Doing space. Both sports, yeah. yeah. And you're, you're failing your classes. So I had to choose one and, you know, gave up the, uh, gave up the wrestling. How did you end up finishing school? Did you, did you do all right? I got by. Did you graduate? That's all. Oh, that no, I, no, yeah. I graduated. I graduated college. Um, actually I graduated, uh, at Ramapo college in New Jersey. Okay. Which is Jersey in the house. Exactly. What did you study? Communications. See, if I could go back, that's what I would have majored in. I majored in finance, and I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. I hate math. So. Well, I, I learned 
much more in the real world with communications than I did in college. I, I think we all do. I think college, honestly, man, it was a great time. For me, that I finish in four years, and I even got a scholarship to college, but, you know, I didn't learn much. I had a, I had a blast. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. I went to Pace in the city. I had a, had a blast. Oh, yeah. I cried for, like, four days after I finished college. I was just, I had so much fucking fun. Man. I didn't want to leave. I told my son, my son, I was like, I don't want to go to college. I go, you're fucking stupid if you don't want to go to college. Not because you're stupid as you want to learn. You're going to miss a really great time to have fun, you know, meet people, network. You know, a lot of the buddies from college, they end up being your lifelong friends. I don't know if that's true for you, but you know, a yeah. few, few of the people I met in college, you know, we, we still to this day, you know, here we are 20 something years later and my God, how fast time moves from that point that I graduated. I can't believe how far, I mean, think about the last, the last 20 years seems like a blink of an eye. Blink of an eye, man. So that's my only advice to my young audience is like, you, you're sleeping on your time. Like if you're not out there using your time now, do I wish I did a little bit more? I was, I was very active during college, but <clears throat> I mean, I was doing commercial leasing in the city. I was active in the nightlife. And the reason, you know, I like to give the background why I ask you all these questions is because, you know, you go from being an introvert, you have a learning disability, and you become a part of New York's nightlife. So I guess, yeah. you know, take us from college to how did you get into nightlife? And, you know, you're forced to be extroverted in nightlife. You all cannot right, be so successful in nightlife, and you can't meet celebrities and do all this cool stuff you've been doing because i you know how do i know i do it too right? yeah. i'm friends with some of the biggest celebrities in the world you don't it's hard to do that as an introvert so i'd like to hear so hopefully there's someone here that's introverted that maybe right, is not so as strong as you are or hasn't been as successful and maybe this is how they learn how to get out of their shell and and go for the gusto so take me kind of through how did you end up in nightlife and how did you do that as an introvert after high school went to college I think it was my, maybe my first or second year, I was still hanging out with my close friends from high school. We, you know, would uh, go out to nightclubs on, on weekends and in the city, in the city. What were some of the nightclubs? What was the first nightclub you can you remember that you went to that you really stuck out in your memory? Oh, um, were you just like, I love this. Actually, uh, where the story begins, I believe it was Saatchi. If you remember Saatchi mm -hmm. back on the day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically what happened was me and a couple of my friends were standing online at a nightclub and one of my friends, uh, who is a little more extroverted than me, I guess you could say, we're standing online and all of a sudden, you know, we're just waiting, waiting, waiting. And promoter that we know from back home walks in cuts the line, walks in with all these girls. And so I'm just standing there and my friend, uh, Dave, he says to me, Jeff, we got to do that. I'm like, do what? He goes, promote parties. I'm like, come on, man. I, that's not, for, I'm not doing that. He goes, no, no, no. We got to do it. We got to do it. I'm like, all right, bro, let's, let's just settle down. This is not something I'm interested in. Weeks went by every time we'd hang out. Jeff, we got to become promoters. We got to start throwing parties. This is, you know, we can like make Project X and shit. Yeah, we can make money and, you know, and, and, you know, get girls and all this stuff. And I'm like, so finally I said, listen, after like weeks of pressing me. I, said, I mean, you had no desire. No desire. It wasn't even crossing your mind. Didn't even cross my mind at all. I said, listen, <laughs> I will, I'll tell you what. I'll call my sister, see if she knows any promoters. And I'm sure she does. We'll try it once. If I like it, I'll do it again. But I'll do it once just so you can stop bothering yeah, me. Just shut it. the fuck up. Just to shut the fuck up. And leave me alone. And leave me alone. So I'm underage at the time. And, you know, I'm showing a fake ID to get into parties. You know, anybody would. Oh, most people did. Most people I did. just looked older. They never ID'd them. And the old oh, 20 yeah. under the license, they never gave a $20 went a long way back then. You so, give that to a bouncer, he's like, yeah, he's good. Oh, Fine. yeah. I, I used to show uh, an ID that wasn't even me. Yeah. It was real, but it wasn't but me. You slip a 20 under, they didn't give a shit. Yeah. Now just, they got the machines and the scans and the fucking, yeah. you're not getting away with that no more. Uh, Technology sucks for you young ones. 
<laughs> it really does. We used to get away with murder in the old days. So my sister ended up connecting me with this promoter. We spoke to him. We worked out this, uh, this deal. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So if we bring a thousand people, then we're going to make all this money. Well, it didn't exactly happen that way. Uh, we started calling everybody in our phone book. I mean, everybody. My, my friend was calling people from tennis camp from 10 years ago that he hadn't even spoken to. So we're doing all this, this, uh, this work, have all these people coming. We show up to the door, show our IDs. My friend, they, they're about to let him in. And they're like, they look at my ID. First time that this has ever happened since going out. This isn't you. We can't let you in. And so my friend slash partner at the time, he goes, I'm going to go inside. He starts raising hell. <laughs> my partner and I busted our asses to fill this venue and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's flipping out. So finally they're like, all right, listen, we'll let you in but you can't drink. I said, okay, cool. Walked in half of our people didn't even get in. So we were already upset about that. My sister shows up with, uh, you know, her friends. And because I guess one of them knew the door guy, they basically thought that they brought them. So it was kind of like, uh, you, you know, you didn't get the tally. I didn't get the tally. And for those of you who don't understand how nightlife works. So how it works and I was never really a promoter. See, people have that, that dissuasion. I truly was on the other side, but I was more of the client. And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm spending all this fucking money for no reason. The irony now is I don't even drink. But what the tally is in nightlife is a promoter is in charge of bringing people. And it's changed a lot over the years. Yeah. Now you're considered a promoter just because you bring some girls to drink for free. Exactly. To me, a promoter is like you bringing fucking money to the club. Right. Okay, well, how many clients do you have? You have whales that are going to spend money on bottles. They're going to, you know, people are actually going to spend money. The, to me, if you think you're a promoter, it's because you can bring women to a club. And the fact that clubs even need to hire these fucking people means to me that that club is ineffective in marketing. Absolutely. In my opinion. And we'll get into this later. But at that time, your jo only job was to bring as many people as you can. And yep. per, per head, you would get paid per person. Exactly. So if they agreed to give you 5 to $7 a head back then was kind of and the rate. Yep. You brought 100 people, you made $700 a night. You got to drink for free. You had a fucking blast, which is a great lifestyle at that age. Exactly. And that's what sucked you in the... No. Uh, actually, I had a... Listen. The f so that what first happened? Night, so you, you so, do no good that so, night? So, no, no, no. We brought a lot of people, but a lot of them didn't get into the club. So it was how already... many got in? I mean, do you remember? Did you make any, did you make any money that night? Oh no, they totally fucked us. They're like, screw you guys. Yeah, they, they which they was totally very common. Us. Also, people don't know how it was. Oh yeah, it's they totally fucked us. Didn't get paid, but after that, but situation, you got laid. She was like, I'm in. No, 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 no. <laughs> no actually, no. But because that works too. Yeah, but not that <laughs> night. Uh, so what happened was. After that night, we got into a huge fight with the promoter argument. So um, you were basically a sub promoter. There was a well, promoter. Yeah. I mean, I didn't and then a sub. Yeah, because you didn't have exactly. the contract for the actual club. It, it, exactly. I didn't know anything. Yeah. Um, like a pyramid I, scheme in the business. Yeah, but I, I said, all right, you know what? Let's give this one more shot. What made but, you want to give it one more shot after that? Um, you, you, you didn't want to do it at all. I did not okay? want to do it at all. You kind of did it, and it was not successful. So what it, the hell made you want to do it again? Because I saw the people that actually came out. I saw there was something there that I just wanted to try again. I don't know what it was. Was it that they were having a good time? Was um, it, I mean, yeah, did they have, did the they, people, did the people that night, do you remember, did they have a good now, time? Now, the people that came. That got they, in. That got in, had a blast. They had a really good time. They had a great time. So that made me feel good. So you so, kind of built a little bit of a base then. They're like, oh, let us know when the next one is. Or Exactly. So I said, all right, we're going to try this one more time. And I said, but we're not going to do it at a place that is the hottest place in New York or whatever. Dude, because, a shitty place. Because, well, yeah. Not I mean, as popular. Not as popular. And what I'd rather do is 
try to make it our own, so to speak. We take the deal for the night. Or I work with somebody that I trust that has the deal and it's a different, it's yeah. a different story. In other way, you need more control, right. which is what I used to do when I did my events. I didn't yeah. promote for anybody. Now, remember, this is now my second time doing it. So I'm still very green. Very, so very green. And I very, very, very green. Very ruthless. Very green. However, uh, I got an email or I saw something online. I don't know. I don't really remember exactly how it happened. Uh, what, what time period is this? Is it the early 2000s? Yeah, early 2000s. Yeah. And I got an email or I, I saw something online and I ended up connecting with uh, a promoter named Donnie and Tina, Donnie Garzino. Um, and he treated me with such respect. And it was, you know, we basically, and actually, f funny enough, uh, <laughs> Jason Priestley was actually his partner, which was kind of funny. He put his name on the, you know, on the on the bill, even though he was hardly ever there. Uh, but yeah, we tell about the actor, the actor from, from 90210, which is kind of full circle that I book some of the cast for appearances now. But anyway, but yes. So he was, uh, he had his name on it for, uh, you know, promotional purposes, even though he was hardly ever there. Uh, but they treated me so well that I was like, you know what? I can do this and I can learn the ropes. And he was basically like a mentor. Yes. In my life at that point. Uh, yes, they were mentors to me. And then, uh, basically we were doing this, this party it was going good. And I basically was walking around the city to different uh, restaurants and I found one restaurant that was really beautiful. And Donnie said to me, Hey, look, if you get the restaurant, this is a really beautiful spot. Let's just be, let's partner up and we can, which place was that? Uh, it was called Scopa. Okay. Back in the day. Yeah. Very familiar. Yeah. So I got that name. It's been so long. Yeah. So we, uh, we started throwing parties at Scopa. It was going, going great. And basically I just kept, uh, I kept building and building and good money comes out. I mean, when you hit on a party, I mean, you can make 10, 20, 30 grand a night. Yeah. You know, when it goes really Oh, well. when it goes good. Yeah. And you're with the right venue that doesn't try to screw you. Cause what a lot of people don't know. And I guess this episode is a little bit about this is if you're trying to break into nightlife and you know nothing about nightlife, you're going to fall into the hands of some of the wrong people at first, unless you're lucky, 1, unless you're lucky. And there's very few that have any honor in that business in the long run, in my opinion. Oh, I listen. <laughs> it's the venues too. The venues can screw you. Then. So what happens is they screw the person that has the deal for the club. Now you're a sub promoter for the promoter. It's not even his fault. He got screwed by the venue. So now you get screwed because he got screwed because he's not the money to pay you. And there's a lot of that that goes on too. Or you did 30,000 at the bar or 50,000 or a hundred thousand. And they're like, no. And then you see all these voids and they play with the numbers at the end. Meanwhile, oh, yeah. you crook cause there's not just the, the per head shit's pretty much non-existent now. No, it's all based it's, on how much they spend. Exactly. But that was still a part of deals back then, right? We used to get the well, bar back, guarantee and back here, in, you know, you would have your levels. Well, back in the day, a promoter would take over a night. And it was up to them to fill the venue and they had to pay do the their difference. thing and they had to pay their, they'd have a bar guarantee. So if you don't hit 20,000 in sales, so you're guaranteeing the venue, I'm going to hit 20,000 tonight and I'm going to take every Friday for the next year. Yeah. And every Friday comes, if that bar doesn't ring up 20 grand, that person has to pay the difference. There were some of those deals. Yeah. But some of the deals were anything over 20. I get half or the, and then it would, yeah. every place had different Everybody, deals and yeah, numbers every, and you know, they got to keep the admission at the door. And so it, it is very dangerous. If you don't know what you're doing financially, you can run into a hole pretty quickly. Absolutely. But you did it for a very long time. Yes. So you start building with this team. You're doing parties at this place called Scopa. Yes. Now, do you feel like you're becoming more extroverted at this point in your life? And do you think um, it's because of alcohol? Be honest. Not because of alcohol, no. Was it because of anything else? Huh? I, I was becoming a little bit Were you bit behaving? More. Were you skiing once in a while? Huh? 
<laughs> you know, funny enough, I've actually never done that. You know what? Neither have I. Not even once. No, I'm serious. Not even once. And you know me, why I never did it? Why? Two reasons. One, I saw what people did, did to them in the nightlife. I know people that lost their lives, lost everything they had. And two is I was scared. I was like, if I like this, my life is over. And you I was scared something? I would like it. That's one of two reasons why I've never done it is because a number one. Well, first of all, number one, uh, as a kid, my mom basically said to me, if you smoke or do drugs, I'm throwing you out of the house as much as it's funny. It was a good thing. She said that, uh, the second reason is because I never wanted to do anything that would potentially cost you your life, cost me my life. Whether um, it be like you're alive and your life's over because you can destroy your life and still be alive. Oh, yeah. 100%. I've unfortunately had friends that I've seen deteriorate. Yeah, they're alive, but they're not the same person I knew 10 years ago. They, you know, they became yeah. burned out as we know oh, it's burned out. Look, there's some people that can handle doing it recreationally, you know, every now and then. Yeah, and, and, same and thing whatever. Alcohol, you know, and, 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 yeah, and some people can, but I never felt the need to to do it. I just never cared to do it i never wanted to do it um so i always did you just, drink though i did drink yes. did it ever get out of hand nightlife in the beginning you kind of don't know your boundaries yet, um, you know? it didn't get out of hand but later down the road i basically just said to myself you know what if you really want to do something with your life you really want to you know move the needle with uh your business gonna have to cut the drinking or at least limit it to, you know, very, you know, not as much at all. Because it could be every night if you want. People well, don't the problem is, is this. There's a party every night in New York. The problem is, is this. Especially during that time. Yeah, especially at that time. You have a couple drinks, let's just say, out of a bottle. I'm just using this as an example. One night. Then you wake up with a hangover. Then the next night comes. Same thing. So after a while, you're kind of like, all right, oh, you're a fucking alcoholic and you don't realize it because that's kind of where I felt I was. Yeah, I wasn't excessively drinking every night, but if you're drinking every day, even two drinks, by definition. Yeah, three, four nights a week. It just, you know, it, and it wasn't for me. It was sick. I was out six to seven nights. I was literally out every fucking night. Yeah. Monday, last 61, bungle away. Tuesday, sweet 16, suede. Yep. Wednesday, Serafinos. Thursday, uh, Lotus, fucking, I mean, I was out every oh, Tuesdays at Lotus fucking night for years. Sundays at Pangea. Pangea, Sundays. Um, so, you know, and, you know, you've been in that world. And we were out at the same time, which is cool. And you do look familiar. I feel like we've definitely been yeah. in the same room a million. I'm a lot fatter, but we've probably definitely been in the same room a million times. And we didn't 1, even know each other back then. 1,000%. In fact, um, at one point, and this is why it's, you know Chris Willer? Of course. Love Chris. Richie Romero? Richie's family. <laughs> okay. Love Richie. Samir Qureshi. Samir, the owner of uh, Somewhere Nowhere. Love Samir. One of the most honorable in the industry, yes or no? Absolutely. Seriously, like when you could no, he seriously. keeps this fucking that's how me and him became best friends. Samir listen, Samir. I, I took never, a I took a deal at uh, Ajna, the old Buddha bar, and never knew him. I did the uh, Friday there actually. Fucking with fucking what was his name fucking guy frank well frank's at buddha bar now yeah but uh the shaved head good looking guy but i'd met the janice janice whatever his name was the owner i didn't know what the fuck was that. someone co-brokered a deal and you know i don't want to say the whole story here but basically that's the first time i met samir and i made him an offer he can't refuse he was in charge of that night he had the contract and i had two thousand people the party's online. You type it in. Type in YouTube. The final Friday, United Alabama. You'll see fucking 2,000 people across the street from STK. The line's around the block at 11 o'clock. I closed my door. Sold out. Wow. He's like, who the fuck are you? And how many people promote for you? Like, how many promoters do you have? I said, I don't have any fucking promoters. He said, what do you mean? I said, because that's a fucking promoter. That's a fucking promoter. That's some asshole that can invite 20 girls to come drink for fucking free. Well, if you I want, want to give the power back to the women if, in my life, if, if you want to, if you want to hear something, uh, a little, a little ironic, uh, I actually was doing the Friday night when Ajna opened, we were there for a couple of months, everything was going great. And then the manager, Frank decides to say, 
you know what? I think that we can do this without you guys. Oh, they always. Think so that. he, so he cancels the contract two weeks later when he's empty, they call me up and they're like, will you guys come back? I'm like, Nope. Yeah. You're fucking stupid. They swear. It's the same thing. Not just in nightlife. When I worked for one of the largest hospitality companies in the world, I was in charge of the entire sales floor. I built that team. I recruited that team. I trained that team. 80 sales reps. Wow. Crushing numbers. Broke every fucking record. Brought that witch that I used to work for. Cunt. She ends up winning like the number one fucking office. And then this is a huge organization. I'm not going to say the name just to not. Yeah. Not that I give a fuck because I'll never work for anybody again as long as I live. I'd rather jump off a building. She thought the machine's up, right? They train. They know what they're doing. I get rid of this guy. She didn't get rid of me, though. She made it to the point where I, I felt very underappreciated. It wasn't like I wasn't even being a prima donna. It was like they were doing things that just made no sense, and they were destroying the culture. We had an amazing culture there for a moment. That's why we hit the numbers we hit. We exceeded the budget by 30%, man. The numbers we were supposed to hit by almost 30. It was like wow. 27%. We did $130 million in sales. Legally, no games, no gimmicks, no, like, the right way. Won all these That's awards, incredible. no fucking complaints. I have. It's my track. I can pull a... I got receipts, motherfuckers. I got receipts. And I'm going to bring them out. But here's my point. It's the same story you're telling me. They think they got it. It's up now. It runs itself. He's only one person. What, what the fuck is... If he's gone, who cares? And I wasn't, there was five, I don't want to take all the thunder. There was four other managers. They all resigned. I'm the last one left. Wow. And I'm looking at it, I go into it, I said, listen, I'm giving you until Monday to get rid of the director. The director was a fucking virus in that office. A fucking scumbag. A low life. When I tell you a low life, fucking scumbag. He was never there to build that team. He came in after everything was up. You understand? I didn't even care about the oh, position because yeah. I didn't want his position. I was making more money on the floor. This and that, this and that. I said, we've been with you since day one. I said, you think, I said, I know. And I, it's exact words. I said, you think it's up and running and it's good? You're going to find out who's closing all that business out there. I said, I know you think oh, it's I bet not. they found out real oh, quickly. Oh, they fucking found out, bro. They didn't even hit their fucking budget. So imagine wow. the year before, their number one office in the world, 30% ahead. The next year, they didn't even hit the fucking budget. I said, I hope wow. you enjoyed your bonus last year because you ain't going to have another one. But the corporate world, that's when I realized. Like, that's when I made the final break because I was always an entrepreneur, but I had gotten married. Let me get some structure. Let me, you know, whatever. But I tried to be the, it was, I couldn't, I, I hated. The industry I was in, I could tolerate because there's very little hours. We made really fucking good money. Half a million, 700 grand a year, man work 20 30 hours a fucking week and most of the time you're not working you're just waiting for the next client to come in like you know you just fuck it was a fun job yeah. i'm not gonna lie great job but that's when i realized i would never work in the corporate world again as long as i live because you could do everything right and i did everything right jeff and they still could screw okay you. jeff i worked 80 hour weeks to 100 hour weeks i didn't care what the time was i gave the job everything i had I never had one complaint from a client. I had the opposite. The staff that I worked with, they all made more money than they ever made in their lives. And I built a culture that I was so proud of and I treated them every day. I out of my own fucking pocket. The company wasn't good. I would buy everyone lunch and fucking take care of everyone, even pay for clients. Not my financial responsibility, but I believed in it. And I was like, this is it. I finally did everything right. I'm finally making the money I deserve in the corporate world. The next step is whatever I want it to be, and then nonsense for no fucking reason. Bring some scumbag in, destroy the entire fucking environment, destroy everything we built, and I'm like, I will never leave my future in the hands of anyone ever again. So I told my family I when can't. I jumped off the lake. Can you imagine telling your your wife or your family, listen, I'm making five, six, seven hundred grand a year. I'm 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 leaving my job. What do you think they said to me? the fuck oh, are you doing yeah they probably were you're like, stupid you you're doing? crazy where the fuck are you going but yeah i would but rather i would rather have my dignity respect self-respect respect is a big fuck okay thing. so people want to know can i can i buy back no you can't fucking buy me because i've i already had many times in my life 
where and it was Jeff, it was not easy walking away from that kind of money. I went through hell, brother. I failed like four more companies after that. That I like started. I lost a lot of fucking money after that. I lost a lot of fucking money after that. But I learned a lot. I feel oh, great. Yeah. And it all led to where I am today. And that's why I feel like you don't compromise. And that's what you didn't do, right? Because a lot of people, when they start a nightlife, if they went your course, they would have stayed in the promoter, sub-promoter from, from, for, for years before they would have felt enough courage. Absolutely. Let me take the venue. Let me give the guarantee. It sounds like you kind of really jumped off the ledge and kind of went into it very quickly. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, well, you also have to under understand something else. I mean, I touched on this before growing up, you know, playing, you know, playing competitive uh, tennis. When you're playing tennis and you got a learning, this learning disability that has to do with, you know, uh, visual perception. And on top of that, you're, uh, you know, have flat feet as an example. So I was always the hardest working guy uh, on the court, so to speak. It, it once I have my mind set into doing something, I'm gonna go. That's why I feel sports, and I am a father of three. I feel sports is so fucking important. Sports is so important. Force your child to play a sport. Why? It teaches them to be competitive. It teaches them to care. It teaches them to want to learn how to win. Absolutely. And to come back from the disappointment of losing. There's a lot that you learn from sports, and I don't think a lot of people understand it. Well, my kid just doesn't like baseball. Make him play baseball. 1,000%. My kid doesn't like to do anything. We'll pick a sport and force the kid to play it. Oh, listen. My, Sorry for you. My, my family tried to get me to, you know, uh, play baseball and, 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 and all this other stuff. But uh, I, was, I was hooked on, uh, hooked on tennis. I heard and, a lot of Jewish people like jujitsu. Is that true? I'm sure a it's lot joke, of people. It's a, it's a jujitsu. It's <laughs> a good one. I just thought of it, but yeah, man, we have a lot in common, man. I didn't, you know, I didn't even realize it. I mean, we've, you know, we've spoken over the last couple of years, but people yeah. were really like finally meeting in person and exactly. So yeah, I feel like, you know, talking to alumni here, man, you are alumni, same. nightlife alumni, oh, same, nightlife alumni. same to you. <clears throat> so you got to the point where you could fill Ajna, your team, Ajna, by the way, guys, yes, was a massive venue. And I'm going to put some clips in this episode to show, cause my, I have yeah. footage of my party. Massive venue. It was first Buddha Bar, then it'd be called Ajna. And at this time, the meatpacking district was the mecca of New York City. Brooklyn, Brooklyn hadn't taken over yet. Brooklyn took over. Yeah. In Manhattan, 14th Street area, the meatpacking district next to the Gansevoort Hotel, Little West 12th Street, you know, that area had like the creme de la creme of lounges and small nightclubs in Manhattan at this time period. It was like the fucking, it was the triangle to be in. Oh, yeah. So you were doing with some of the biggest venues there. I mean, Ajna was massive, brothers. It could fit 2,000 people, no problem. Yeah. So they begged you to go back and you told them, no. Nope. Do you remember what happened? Where did you move the party to? Um, I moved the party to, uh, to be honest with you, some restaurant that I don't even remember the name of. But um, And that's it, what happened with Club Mars. They don't realize that people followed the promoters back then they didn't care yeah. about it we never cared about the venue we're like we know if this group is throwing the party we know it's going to be a good party like i was loyal to click for most of my nightlife yeah when i was younger like in my college years i knew if i went to a click party there's going to be beautiful women i was going to have a good time i knew my friends were going to be there so i would go to a click party you know they, that's what a lot of venues like you know club owners they you know same thing happened to deep you remember deep 21st uh, street it used to be, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It used yeah. to be called Ohm. Yep. That place was sick for a couple of months. Like, I mean, it was, I couldn't wait for Saturday nights to go there. But from what I understand, the owner got involved too much and messed up with the promoters. And once you get rid of the, the best promoters, happens. yeah, the city's small and word gets around. And people don't realize that, like, you know, we all talk. And, you know, it's at that time, period, I mean, it's changed a little bit since then, but you didn't screw that. And that's a, this is the, it's just a lesson in life. If someone's making you money, Leave them alone. 1,000%. I have, you know, my company, which I'm going to start talking more about, you know, separate channel from this. This is more just life and fun. And of course, you know, you never know, but my business stuff. If I had a sales rep who was killing it, 
he could do or she could do whatever she wants as long as it's not illegal. Anything except curse my mother out. They could say whatever. I wouldn't give a fuck. They're bringing me money. Like, why am I going to fuck with my killers? It is so hard to find qualified people in any profession. Absolutely. Who care about their job and produce. When you got a producer, the salespeople know it. That's why they always walk. There's always something else to sell. There's always somewhere else to go. There's always something else I can sell. I don't fucking need you. You need me. And it's the truth. And the smartest people that build the smartest sales teams are the ones that know. I got a fucking killer. It's like your athlete. Let me take care of him. Let me make them happy. Let me make her happy. I don't want to lose them because they're bringing you fucking money. It is hard to teach someone how to sell and to become good at it. And I never understood this logic with these morons. The problem is most of the managers in companies that have sales organizations are they put people that, are, that could not sell. They themselves, my ex-boss never sold a fucking thing in her life. Yet her job was to produce sales. That is why she destroyed her own office. In yeah. my opinion. So... But getting back to so I'm sorry, I don't know. You just you kind of pulled this out of me. So. No, no, no. This is, this is because it's, it's just a common theme throughout all business. People do things and they, they think they're smart. They think they're fucking you. They think they're cutting a corner. No, what you're doing when you screw people over, what you are doing is you're definitely hurting yourself reputation wise. And eventually your reputation will catch up to you. So you think, ah, you're just screwing some little guy or some little girl out of their money or, you know, hurting them. Yeah, you might have hurt them short term. But I promise you, long term, you're hurting yourself. Reputation, thousand percent. Reputation is everything in this world. Your honor, you know, you know, you might. The problem is when you are honorable, you get screwed a lot. I got screwed millions of times in my life. Same here. Okay, but you know what? No one can come back and say Beck Lover lied to me, unless they align through their teeth or Jeff did me wrong or no. Exactly. There's not a single person out there that can say that I fucked them in the business deal or Absolutely. I took their money or I took their sweat because that's what you're doing. You're taking someone's sweat. And I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God. To do that to someone is the same as putting a gun in someone's mouth and robbing their wallet. In my opinion, it's the same. Maybe even worse, because the way you did it was through deceit. Exactly. So that's kind of why you kind of hit a nerve, because it made me angry, because I know, because I've been through that, too. I got screwed. Oh, yeah. I did a party at Metronome. Fucking place was packed. Okay? My first party I ever did on my own. Slam, bro. No promoters, bro. You understand? You know yeah, how hard that is. No, I, I know. Believe okay, me. Okay, Samir's nickname for me was the Thousand Man Man. That's his nickname. That's awesome. That's how we met. Because you saw Ajay, he's like, who the fuck are you? You never heard him. He's like, who the fuck are you? How many people on your team? I said, I ain't got no fucking team. What do you consider a promoter? Someone that begs girls to come and drink? I said, this is fucking promoting. I said, no, I had a niche. I had my community. Right, of course. Because Albanians, they loved me, right? Of course. But still, we were great. And I was the only Albanian person to throw events Anyone that was a part of that time period knows never had fights, never had nothing, okay, which was very rare with our people. Would you admit that Albanians, usually if there was a fight in the club that night, it was either the Albanians, the Italians, who, who was fighting usually? Well, no. What when I, you were out. Well, no, no. What I would say is that. Fucking fuck the night up, man. No, what I, what I would say is that Albanian parties, at least back then, did have a, a reputation that somebody's going to get into a fight. Violent or shot. Yeah. Or whatever. It was known as violent. But. Yeah, it is real. We survived, but you know, we've calmed down a lot, man. We've had, we have calmed down. Oh, listen, they've made dispensaries legal. We've chilling. You know, we're we're the second generation in now. We're calmed down, man. Funny, funny enough, my best friend, Biden from, my best friend from high school that uh, pushed me to start promoting is half Albanian. So that was it. So there you go. Shout out to my half Albanian brother. Exactly. Still friends? Absolutely. So my life didn't rip you guys apart. No, because ironically, after a few months, he just I had enough. Yeah, he just he said a, I had enough. He said I had enough, and he wanted to go and uh, get a series seven. So what so, made you stay in? I was just I just wanted never to. used your college friends. Yeah, you have never. to understand something. I I have there's something in me that I just. When I start something, I just don't quit until I, you know, it, it just, I want to see it through. And actually, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, when 9-11 happens, I had the night before, I had made flyers with the uh, World Trade Center on it. That wow. Read the, the name of the, the party and the, the venue and everything. 
And, you know, my dad works or, you know, worked on wall street. So when I woke up the following day, I was literally about to go and pass out flyers around my college. And then I woke up and my roommate was like, my roommate was like, Jeff, um, did you see the news? That'll be a party tonight. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh shit, I got to call my dad. But had I not had somebody not told me what happened, I would have walked out the door and started handing out flyers with the, you know, a picture of the, that's crazy. Cause you know, back then it was, yeah, it was a symbol of like, you're in New York, you know? Yeah. I exactly. the world trade center. I used to look at them with admiration all the time. They always, they always excited me. Just seeing them like, wow, man, look at where I live. Like, I can't believe I live here. Yeah. Man. I remember driving down that West Side highway, just seeing them, you know, like, exactly. And it was just magical. So that, I mean, I, I didn't do anything for a number of months after that because of, you know, obvious, obviously. it was crazy, man. But, yeah. the, but then the nightlife came back. Roaring. But then it came back roaring. And it was a sense of like, fuck that. We're New Yorker. Like everyone was absolutely like, kind of more together, man. I felt like we were way more together. One, 1000%. There's a lot of like fun. man. It was fucking amazing. Actually. I thought it was amazing. 1000%. Yeah. I, I just, I just came back even, you know, even stronger. So you've been in nightlife for about 25 years, basically. 20 something uh 20 20 plus at least, something yeah. like that yeah yeah man yeah you started in college i mean we're the same age so you're, you're about yeah. 25 years in man. yeah well no uh 20 20 like 24. 22 years in something like that so yeah. it's a long time yeah now you're still active in nightlife not not as much um i was up until i would say the pandemic uh maybe you know well so basically before the pandemic the uh, seven, I would say for seven years before, uh, you know, I was running uh, Troy Liquor Bar at the time and running the, the marketing promotions for the venue. And I was also starting to build my uh, celebrity Rolodex. I met my uh, business partner currently, uh, Mitch Faulkner, who owns a, a celebrity booking agency. We became partners and we were doing all these, uh, these dinner parties and uh, I got Saturday night live as a client to do their, you know, after shout out parties. to Leslie Jones. Yeah. Love Leslie Jones. She's mad cool. I became friends with her recently, actually, which, uh, that's another interesting story of how I got, <laughs> got SNL as a client. Um, but yeah, I was, but doing, what do you, uh, when you say that you're a client, like, what do you do for them? I find them the venues every week that they're live, hire the DJ, uh, I even come up like with why the they throw a party every Saturday, every Saturday that they're live. No, I never knew that. Yeah. Well, how often are they live every Saturday? Uh, well they go like seasons. They go. Yeah. They, for the season, they go like two or three weeks on then they take a break for, oh, that's two awesome. weeks, I never knew there was a Saturday night live party. Yeah. So, I was really good friends with Tracy Morgan for a while. And I have crazy fucking stories with him, which I've never made public, but we really lost contact. And I don't think that, we ever will be in contact again. So one day I'm going to tell my Tracy Morgan stories. If you're out there, Tracy, it's time to rekindle the friendship. We never had That's, a falling out. We just kind of lost touch. He started yeah. filming 30 rock and I never saw him again, but I had some wild fucking nights with Tracy Morgan. Though. I'm talking about 2001. Oh, I'm I, talking about, but that's when he was drinking. Yeah. Then he, he stopped. Yeah. He hasn't drinking in years, but he was fucking wild, bro. Oh, he, he used was, to go to suede a lot. We used to go. Yeah. No, I mean, Tracy back in the day, would, he didn't give a fuck. He took me to Four Green Projects, bro. At five o'clock in the morning, I'm in a place called Sugar Hills. If you're from Four Green, you know. When I tell him, like, there's no way you walked in there, white boy. I'm like, oh, yes, I did. And this is how it looked. And I'm not going to lie, I was shitting bricks. I'm like, yo, I'm not in my hood. This is a fucking dangerous neighborhood. Tracy Morgan's like, you come with me, I don't give a fuck. We walk into this place. And it was like that scene in Animal House when they walk in and then everyone just stops dancing when they walked into the bar to the Otis, whatever, Otis Day when they were singing. Yeah. I walk into this place with Tracy Morgan. Everyone just stops, partly because it was Tracy Morgan. And then they're like, who the fuck is this guy dressed like a fucking gangster? Like I had a suit on. And I was I was shitting bricks. I ain't gonna lie. I'm like, yo, I'm in the Four Green fucking projects right now. I'm in Marcy <laughs> Avenue. I'm leaving messages on my family. Yo, if I die, I'm with Tracy Morgan. If I die, anything happens to me, I was with Tracy Morgan. I swear to God, I'm leaving voicemails. On my uncle's phone, like, yo, if I die, I was with Tracy Morgan. I hung up the phone just so they would know what happened to me. Because I don't know what the fuck was going to happen. And that's part of the thrill of the nightlife. But you got to be careful. The nightlife can be dangerous. 
Back then, it was way more dangerous, in my opinion. Oh, of course. Compared to today. There was a lot of characters in and out of those nightclubs, and you know what I'm talking about. Of course. All kinds of things moving. You can meet all kinds of people, and you got to be careful who you let into your circle in the nightlife. And you got to make sure you're out with people that there's at least someone that's competent to make sure you get home alive and that you're not doing stupid shit. And you shouldn't be drinking and driving when Uber exists. And if you don't got money for an Uber, you shouldn't fucking be out. 1,000%. Period. And we can go on and on and on of the dangers of nightlife. But you did this for 20 years. Yeah. You kicked ass at it because you wouldn't know all the people that I know uh, if you didn't. Um, So how did you evolve? So this is kind of also how you started building up the celebrity connections. Yeah. So basically what happened was a couple things were happening at the same time. I got SNL as Saturday Night Live as a client, which was uh, another whole crazy story of how that happens. Uh, I was running the uh, marketing and promotions at Troy Liquor Bar, and upstairs was Dos Caminos. So I was working. Troy is in the meatpacking, no? Or well, it's not, Troy? well, it's not open anymore. But where was it? It was in the meatpacking. It was, that's what I'm saying. Sound the downstairs of uh, Dos Caminos. Yeah, yeah. Dos so Caminos was, are still there, though. They're still there. The one in the meatpacking. Yeah. Yeah, they're still there. Well, Dos Caminos is still there, and they yeah. have, well, I don't think the bar is open anymore, but. Uh, yeah, so I was doing these uh, dinner parties upstairs at Dos Caminos, working with, you know, Troy Liquor Bar downstairs, and then I just started working more restaurants. So my business partner, his whole thing was, hey, I want to get celebrities into the restaurants because I want to book them for appearances. I just wanted them to come to the parties. That was my yeah, whole thing. synergy right there. It's, there's synergy. And we became very close friends. And then eventually what happened was, people started calling me to get, you know, celebrities for appearances and publicists would call me, Hey, I want to get this person for, you know, uh, art Basel and, you know, uh, hosting this party. And, you know, so what ended up happening was, uh, we just, then we started to, because of the synergy with, of what was happening, we started getting more like convention clients. So for example, uh, you know, we'd be booking a Comic-Con type, uh, type thing and we'd secure the talent. So I was doing hospitality, was doing restaurants, working with Saturday Night Live, booking, uh, celebrities for appearances. And it just started to grow, uh, organically. And by the way, there's a lot of political bullshit that goes on behind the scenes on the celebrity world too. It's not just nightlife. But absolutely, we've, we've you know weathered the uh, the storm on on that kind of stuff too. Um, so basically, yeah, what happened was we were doing that, and I just kept building my Rolodex, building my Rolodex, build, building my Rolodex. Always just wanted to uh, do right by the client, stick to my word, make sure everything went well, and started working with more restaurants, and it just started to grow organically. And then the pandemic hit, of course. Hurt all of us. Hurt me too, bro. Yeah. Especially in hospitality. Yeah. It, uh, at, in the beginning, it, it, it really hurt. Because remember, I, it's, aside from hospitality, I also had this other business that I was, you know, building, uh, which is, you know, booking talent at conventions and, and yeah, you know, these all events, so gatherings. Anything live was, you know, was uh was shut so one day my business partner mitch calls me up and he's like jeff uh, i think we should get some of our wrestler and athlete uh friends online to you know maybe teach some classes or you know meet their fans and i just said to him well what if we did that with celebrities too what if we did some charity events oh what a great idea let's make some calls called cedric the entertainer Pitched him the idea, very skeleton, and he just said to us, I think you're onto something. I think this could be something that could go even past the pandemic because digital world is evolving. People are always on their phones, and we could build this into a brand. So we partnered with Cedric and came up with the name. Three four months later, we launched. And that is fan Fan Room Live is what it's called now. So tell me what this this venture you do. So I didn't know Cedric was your uh, 
partner. I just ran into him. I don't know him like that, but very, very nice guy, bro. Ran into him at the Ned Nomad. He was in town a couple months ago. He walked into the lobby. Gentleman. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know him a long time? Listen, um, yeah. I mean, my, well, going back to sports, my business partner, uh, he does celebrity golf tournaments. Cedric is a big golfer. Yeah. So they connected by over, you know, through the celebrity golf tournament circuit. I did a dinner for him before the pan number of years before the pandemic. Now, when you say you do a dinner for them, you know, explain that to the audience. What does that mean? Uh, you put it together, the venue, you yeah, plan it. Yeah. You just say, listen, they trust you enough. Like, listen, we know you do the right thing. I need a dinner for this many people and they don't even care. Or yeah, you already know what they want and what they expect. I mean, so basically you take well, care of that. Well, everybody, yeah, everybody's, everybody's different, but in this case scenario, yes. Cedric said to my partner, Mitch, I'm going to be in New York. Take care of it. You know? Yeah. Mitch connected me with his assistant and he came into town, set up a dinner for him at Dos Caminos, who, as I said, was working with at the time with uh, Troy Liquor Bar, hosted him for, uh, for dinner with some of his friends, became really good friends just out of that. And yeah, now, and yes, when I say I did a dinner for him, I arranged it with the venue, set up everything he wanted, you know, put the whole thing together. So now he's a partner. Now he's, he's my time. business partner. Yes. Can we FaceTime and, him? And Can we FaceTime him on camera? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, listen, Cedric. He's like, is, I'm on set right now, man. What are you doing? Set, let me tell you something. Cedric is one of the nicest people you will ever meet. I, like and, I said, I ran and, into him a few months ago. Yeah. Never met him before. And I can tell because I've met people like, and I'm not going to say, I mean, Robert De Niro wasn't too nice when I met him. No offense if you're friends with him. But he was, I'm not. Bruce Willis, I feel bad for him what happened. I met him three times. He was never nice, not once. To me, at least, or to anyone that was around. We weren't even being annoying. You know, like just, hi, hello, you know, nice to see you. I didn't ask for a picture or nothing. You know, I don't know. If I had a, I'm going to show you the same way. If I had a picture of every celebrity I've ever hung out with or met with, I'd have albums. I never buy, I don't care to. Yeah, somebody, I mean, listen. I get asked that every two seconds. It's like, I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But my perception of Cedric when I met him was he was very warm and open to the world and people. And like, that was my, the aura I got from him. But you actually are in business with him and know him even better. So, I mean, that's why I believe everything you're saying about him. I mean, put it this way. I'll give you an example. On Thanksgiving, I'll text, you know, people happy Thanksgiving. Cedric will text me back. And again, these are, you know, I will say the same to him. Grateful to have you in my life. Truly a blessing. All that kind of stuff. That's a real friend. If that makes any sense. Yeah. It's not just it's not some generic. It's not just some generic bullshit, you know. Happy so talk to me about this. I mean, what is it? Is it an app, a website? I mean, what is it? Well, well, right now it's a platform. It's not. We're building the app part of it. It's a platform. We have celebrities come on and do a live stream, and we run it like a show. So we'll have you know a host and a and a, and a producer, but the fans and the celebrity are the centerpiece. So they, it's intimate and personal connections. So it's just conversations. We don't do autographs or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, and basically the, the celebrity gets to speak to their fans one-on-one -on -one while everybody else watches. Now, the reason why this is so, uh, I love it so much is because, you know, when you see a celebrity in a nightclub, you don't want to bother them. You know, either you don't want to bother them or even if you speak to them, it's like, whatever you meet them at a convention, there's a security guard that's, you know, trying to hustle you off the line because, you know, they're trying to pump out as many signatures as possible so that the promoter can get their money back or make money on the celebrity that they're paying with this though, since it's virtual, it's just the fan and the celebrity, they have their intimate and personal connection. Then the next fan goes and one-on-one, -on -one, they just keep, it just keeps going and it's lots of fun. And every time we've done it, 
celebrity afterwards says, wow, I didn't realize how much fun that was going to be until I, uh, until I did it. And we what's re- good about it too, is it can help the celebrity produce more income on their downtime. They don't have to actually travel, go over there. And it also makes it Promote their projects. affordable for, you know, maybe, you know, one day you have someone like Justin Bieber as a client on this app. Yes. Yeah. Technology. I may never be able to afford Justin Bieber. But maybe I can afford them for two minutes just to make my 16th birthday for my daughter amazing. Exactly. I pay five grand or whatever the rate is because it's broken down, you know, and now they're going to be making money they never could have made before. The client and the person that loves that person gets to see them in a way they never would have had ever had a chance. Exactly. And you're connecting to great things. Well, not only that. Now, but- where do you stand and what would separate you from other apps that are doing similar stuff? Why? Do you think you'll be able to conquer enough market share? Well, it's because of the experience. Our experience is different. I think the most important thing for you guys, Jeff, is just the, the celebrities you actually get on there. I think that is, that's all you really need. Because the tech you know, is you, not crazy. You know, it's conferencing, and it's, it's out there. But I think it's the right. relationships that you and your partner have, and Cedric definitely has, yeah. that will help you guys do really well with this thing. Who else have you had on the... Uh, tech oh we've had uh george lopez he was our first uh first guest uh dl hughley tommy chong lamar odom uh ice tea and coco my neighbors by the way you going there after love ice tea they still live in my part of the world here well they still live in jersey yeah yeah don't say where i don't want to get (laughs) a shot because then people are gonna know where i live actually i just told everyone where the fuck i live (laughs) strike that from the record no you can leave it out I'm Albanian. We ain't scared of no one. We've uh, we've had. Wrestlers. They were always listen. I see in Coco many nights. I partied with them. They were always out together, which I loved. They were always together. You could tell they fucking really love each other. I mean, they were always out together, bro. That's not a couple that's not in love. Oh yeah, in New York City, you understand? One thousand percent. And very kind. I remember one night I was at Below. If you remember that place on Nineteenth Street. Yeah. It was like in a fucking dungeon. You went down. There was a little dwarf little person that would yep. take you down in the elevator or you could take the stairs like a normal person but i used to like taking the elevator and i was there when i had a table right next to me i just hung out all night just mad cool it was just funny let me tell you something about i see he came on fan room live with coco uh they were also promoting uh new music artist named zaim and <clears throat> the first interaction with a fan it was going a little bit longer. My, uh, you know, the, the host or, you know, and producer Jay Benjamin, uh, you know, tries to interrupt just to not, you know, just politely say, you know, we're, we need to get on to the next fan. And I says, listen, um, let the fans talk as long as they want. Let's give all the fans all the time that they want to talk to us. And it was I mean, when he said that, I was like, wow, this is a, that's a good guy. That's a good freaking guy because he gave them more time than, you know, what he had originally even, even told us just so that people felt in their hearts that they were really coming away with something. And, um, he loved doing it. So yeah, Ice-T is a, is a great, great person. So it's really, uh, you know, great. I'm going to put up all the stuff here for the, for the so what else you want to say to, to the audience out there? Check out the app, right? Check out the tech when it comes out, check out the tech when it comes out. Um, if you want to check out some of my, uh, events, you can check it out at, at IE group NYC on, on, uh, Instagram for Fanroom live. It's at Fanroom live. And yeah, I mean, that's, uh, so you see my friends, you could be the quiet kid in school. Don't really talk too much, have a learning disability. All right. But what he had was what we call drive. There's always going to be problems in our life. There's always going to be issues. There's always going to be something that happens. Always, always, always. I've learned if we wait for the perfect day. There's no perfect days in life because something always happens. Last week, I lost a really good friend. He just died, dropped dead, 30-something years old. I'm so sorry. That doesn't happen. The next thing you know, you don't feel good. This week, I'm sick. Today, I almost didn't come here because I wasn't feeling well. Not, you know. 
So there's never going to be these perfect days everyone waits for in life. You could have been that, stayed that quiet, introverted kid the rest of your life. Instead, you chose to have bravery, to be courageous, to try things that you know nothing about. And kind of God or destiny or the universe, whatever you want to call it, guided you down this path. And today you're friends with some of the most famous people on the face of the planet. You're creating something with one of my favorite people. Cedric is a fucking amazing human being. Yeah. So, you know, you're doing amazing things because you were not willing to stay in that shell. You had courage. You took chances. You took risks. Absolutely. And from what I can tell, you did what you said you would do to people. You didn't burn it. Because you don't make these relationships with... That's where it goes back to what we said earlier. When you mess up your reputation, it's not hard for people in their power to find out real quick who you are. Right. Today, it's a Google search. Oh, absolutely. It's a phone call. It's a, who are you, basically? So, I want to thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for I'm having me I'm pretty sure I, I might be one of your, you know, clients soon. Absolutely. And uh, maybe we'll talk about how we can work together, actually. I think that's the reason God brought you. I don't want to talk on the air. I got something I want to create for the metaverse a very famous venue and i think you're the guy so jeff is here we finished this episode we're going to talk some shop this is why people watch the beck lover podcast where they can learn a thing or two about life i got my man jeff cross in the house check out the article by the way in forbes magazine and uh thank you for coming out jeff oh beck thank you for having me on this has been uh really great uh great conversation and, and by the way a lot of this stuff that i just spoke about uh, I have never spoken about in public. But you felt comfortable, right? Uh, absolutely. That's my job as a host. The Beck Lover Podcast. Till the next time, check out this episode on podcast, YouTube, Rumble, highlights on every freaking platform. We're everywhere. Probably soon we will be on Fan Room Live. Fan Room Live. See, I caught it that time. This is Beck Lover.